There should be a better way to get vitamin D in the winter. I agree. Um, okay, Make a product. Make a vitamin D product. Okay. I sure will. I sure will. I sure That's my will. next big venture. <laughs> a new form okay. of vitamin D. A new vitamin D product. We call it the sun. Hello and welcome to Talking to Live with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I'm joined by the one, the only, Sylvie Lubau. Sylvie, here we are. Back here again. Here we are. I know. Every time. Every time. And we have another exciting episode today. We have an interview with April Dunford, who is a positioning consultant, speaker, and the author of Obviously Awesome. She's Which great. She is. she is obviously awesome. And she's a great guest. She's a great speaker, a great writer. So really excited to have her on the show today talking about positioning, what it is, how to do it, when it works well, when it doesn't. When people take it for granted, why it's important B2C versus B2B, like we covered a lot of ground there. It's a good one. We really did. It's we comprehensive. Sure did. Oh, very comprehensive. Uh <laughs> <laughs> both had a weird pause. That's no, it's not leave it in. It's not weird. <laughs> Actually extend the pause. When I listen back to this episode, I oh want the pause God. to go long enough that someone's like, is this thing broken? <gasps> No, it's really funny that you're mentioning this sometimes, like when I'm just listening and not watching back when I'm editing, your laugh, <laughs> your laugh can sound like so maniacal, even though like, <laughs> I know visually the exact moment that you're laughing at. You know, the best part of that is like, that is my laugh. Like, it's, so it's just I like. Should I change my laugh? Like, I, I don't even think I could. Like, I think I, if I try to change my laugh, I would end up. It's some really don't weird place. Try to, it would don't be try horrible. to change your laugh. It's a beautiful laugh. It's just sometimes when you don't have the visual cue. <laughs> like that. If my eyes were closed to that laugh, I'm what? like, oh, that's. Come on. <laughs> okay. Wow. We digress. Well, um, okay. I'm, I'm throwing laugh shade at you right now. It's but okay. I mean it with love. I mean Thank it with you. love. Thank you, Sylvie. It's one of my favorite things. That's so kind. Um, Anyhow. Anyway, so what's what's got you talking too loud other than my demonic laugh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny because we recorded this episode with Ben Tossel a couple of weeks ago, a uh, big AI enthusiast, writes a daily newsletter about AI, and he was very optimistic, like lots of things that AI are gonna is going to be able to like help people do. Yeah. And then like a week later, there was a New York Times article that was like, I just had a two hour conversation with the Bing chatbot and I'm it left me deeply disturbed. Mm -hmm. So I read this, I immediately send it to you. And <laughs> I was just like, wait, things are happening so fast. And like, did you actually read this transcript? It's terrifying yeah i read the transcript yeah it's it's very terrifying but i don't think it doesn't it doesn't mean yet and i look let's be really clear i'm not an ai expert neither are you we're commenting on it um we're trying to learn about it as much as we can i yes. i think of this as like it's toy mode you got to play you got to play and see that was an unsettling transcript <laughs> Uh, it was very unsettling. That's like the Chucky of toys, you know, like, yes, I think, I think it's interesting because like the first thing I thought was like, it's training on the whole internet. And obviously a lot of the internet's horrible. Mm -hmm. So like, how do you 
figure out like what's appropriate, what's not. And like now it has a memory in each conversation, which like looking at all the prompts you've put previously and the stuff it's pulled from the internet and you end up in this like rabbit hole that's bad. What Microsoft said was like, well, partly why it's in beta and why we want people to use this thing is like, we can't, we don't have enough like human power to have all these two hour long conversations to push this thing right. a little bit and figure it out. So this is helpful. We can stop that from happening. So reportedly, you know, the whole, it was also called Sydney that you didn't say that part, but I didn't say that part. <laughs> yes. It, it called, called itself Sydney. Sydney. There was also other personas. Riley, I think was one of them. It's the other ones. Yeah. And, and it was pretty wild, but what people have reported is that a lot of that stopped now. Mm. So it's like, why is it stopped? What does it mean? Obvious questions. Is this thing sentient or not? I don't think that it is. I think it's feels sentient. It's like the best autocomplete you've ever seen. I still it think there's gonna be tons of things. That... Pretty dang sentient when it was like exactly. So that's what makes it so unsettling. And I yeah. saw this uh, something like yesterday. I was someone saying like. Bing said to the user, like, you're as evil as Hitler. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> oh, my God. So it's, oh. look, I think one thing is the case. We've never seen stuff like this before. Right? We've never seen anything like this. Nope. And, uh, <laughs> and I think, like, for that reason, paying close attention and learning as much as we can and put attention, sunlight is the disinfectant, right? Like, you want attention on this. You want people pushing it. You want, it would, what would be scarier, I think, is like this thing had been released. These journalists had never pushed this thing this hard. Right. And then and later, then months later, for the there, imagine time. all the conversations that people are having like off on their own. No, I'd much, yeah. I'd much rather it this way. Yeah. It doesn't make it less like, I don't know. I still sometimes like reread part of that transcript and I'm just like, holy, holy moly, Sydney. What's going on yeah. inside that computer brain of yours? Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't be rereading it. <laughs> <laughs> Just let it wash past and move forward, you know? It's a good point, Savage. It's a fair point. Instead, I think I'm going to turn my attention to this interview with April Dunford. Perfect transition. Here we go. All right, here we are, April. Great to see you. It's good to see you too. Last time we hung out was at Business of Software at an in-person conference. That was pretty wild. I love Business of Software. It's one of my favorite conferences. Like shout out to Business of Software. But the crowd is good. Like the crowd, everybody's everybody's super smart, but they're also super friendly. Like that 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 conference has a vibe. It does have a vibe, but you were one of those people who was like in every talk, you were like cheerleading people on. I remember talking to you about that. You were like all smiles. There's a lot of engineers at that conference. And there's a lot of people just like on their laptops, just like cranking away. And I remember like, wow, April's just smiling so much. This is so great. You know what? My job, if I'm not on stage, my job is to be a great audience person for the speaker that is on stage. So it's like they said something good. And I'm like, you go, you. Yeah, it, but it's, it's, a, it's amazing how that matters, though, right? Like in real time in your brain, you're up there and you're looking out and it's like, there's April and she is smiling and, and like, she's clapping and you're like, wow, 
Everybody needs an April. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> needs an April. This is literally my job. I'm glad you appreciate that because, oh. like, I know other people that do it for me, and I love it. Like, as yeah. a speaker, you don't think about that. Like, yeah. like if, non-speakers, I think they don't think about what's your job as an audience participant person. Yeah. But I think if I'm in the audience or whatever, I should be like the best audience member. Like I'm like almost competitive about it. It's amazing. All right. Well, we have to start the show with a question we always ask, which is April. We always ask April this whenever she's here or any guest. <laughs> um, what's got you talking too loud right now? What are you really, what are you excited about? What are you fired up about? So I'm, I'm doing a lot of deep thinking and I, and I'm actually doing a bunch of writing right now around sales pitches. I'm okay. talking too loud about sales pitches, which is hilarious because <laughs> you know, I'm a marketer by background and not, not really kind of a salesperson, but I, I'm I'm really thinking a lot about like like positioning is my jam, right? So I'm a positioning expert. But there's this thing about what happens to your positioning when it makes the jump from marketing to sales. And I'm starting to see very clearly that we have this big issue. Like we do all this thinking on the marketing side about how do we craft the words and the message and the make it all perfect or whatever. And then the, and the prospect comes in and they move along and then they click on that button that says, give me a demo mm -hmm. and they get over to sales and sales does none of that. Like there's no storytelling. There's no, whatever. they're like, here's how you log in. Here's a menu. Here's a menu. Here's a menu. And we're getting this like, not everybody, right? But a lot of the companies, what we're giving them is like a product walkthrough. And we're not trying to do anything. Like we're not positioning. We're not storytelling. We're not doing anything. We're like, you figure it out, buddy. I'm just going to show you all the stuff. Clickety, click, click, click. And you figure it out. And I think that's a massive missed opportunity. So right now that that's the thing that's got me talking to that. That's a big topic. Um, a huge topic. It's a big topic. And it's interesting because as you're saying that, it was making me think even just about incentive structures. And like, I think sometimes people think of sales as like quota. Well, you have a quota, so you'll just figure it out, right? And if you're either yeah. good at figuring it out or not, which is insane, because obviously, especially in the world we're in today, where people want to do more research before they sign up for something, they want to experience it, they want to touch it, they want to think about it. Like yep. it's things are, it's harder to get into that conversation. So if you're in there and just leaving it willy nilly, that seems crazy which gets me back to positioning. So can you explain to our audience, for someone who hasn't done this or could do this a lot better, what is good positioning? What is it? How do you do it? Right. So so here's the way I think about it. People get positioning confused with like messaging or branding or you know even copywriting or a lot of people like it's amazing to me how many people think positioning is we're coming up with a tagline that's what we're doing <laughs> and i don't see it like that at all like positioning is the inputs to all that stuff like if you came to me and said write a tagline i'd be like okay well who's who's your target customer and what's your value proposition and what market are you in and like there's all this stuff i gotta know so positioning defines how your product is the best in the world at delivering some value that a, a well-defined set of customers really cares a lot about. So it defines who's my competitor, how am I different, what is the value that I can deliver that no one else can, uh, what are the kind of companies I'm trying to sell to because they're a really good fit for my stuff, and therefore, what's the market I'm going to win? It's all the stuff you need to know before you're making marketing campaigns, before you're writing your messaging, before you're figuring out what the brand needs to convey and all that other stuff. So that's how I define positioning. So obviously what you what you just said sounds, it doesn't sound super hard, 
but it yeah. obviously is. And so many people miss it. Like they, they miss the fact that like the impact that the position is going to have, right? Like someone's quickly looking across, you know, different products in a category and they can't tell why you're different. Right. Or they don't understand even what makes you unique because they're not spending much time on it. Yeah. How would somebody know if they have good positioning or not? Like what are yeah. the signals? What are the signs that people should look for? Well, so I'll tell you what I used to do back when I was the in-house VP marketing. So, so this is what I would do. So you, you hire me, I'm the brand new VP marketing. I come in and all anybody wants me to do is smash my foot on the lead generation gas, man, get that revenue number going up like this. But me as the head of marketing, I'm like, well, I don't actually want to start blowing my brains out on campaigns and things until I'm sure that the, that the positioning is good because otherwise yeah. I'm, you know, I'm throwing a bunch of stuff in the leaky bucket. So what I would do, and you know, again, you got to factor in here my background, which is all B two B, and not just B two B, but B two B with a salesperson involved. I would wander over to sales. I say, "Hi, I'm an idiot. I'm the new VP marketing, and uh, <laughs> you know, can I hang out with you guys and be all grumpy about it?" And then I would just listen in on first sales calls. And and here's the difference between first sales call when your positioning's good, or your positioning's bad. First sales call when it's bad sounds like this. You got the rep, the rep's got a pitch or a demo or something. The customer comes in and the rep says, hey, you know, we do this thing. Let me show you some stuff. And they're clicking around and maybe they're doing a good job pitching it. And you get maybe five, 10 minutes into the pitch and you can see that the customer's making this face like, hmm. and then they're like, back up, but just back up. Back, go back to that thing you did at the beginning. Go, go all the way back to the beginning. <laughs> and they're going back to the beginning. And there's like something that's just not clicking in there. And like, if you've got current customers and your current customers tell you, oh, we love the stuff. Oh my God, you can buy it from my cold dead fingers. But I got this pitch happening and, and you know, customers in there going, back it up, you're a what? You know, or you'll get this thing. Second one you get. First one is that. I have no clue what this freaking thing is. I, I don't know. Second one you'll get is, where the customer comes in and and it, this is almost worse, where they're they're positive, they know what you are, but they don't. So they'll come in and say, oh yeah, I get it. You're just like Salesforce. And you're nothing like Salesforce. Like you're not even in the CRM business. <laughs> they're like, I get it. You're just like Salesforce. Like, don't, you do exactly that. And you're like, no, no, let me let me back it up yeah. to the beginning. And I yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's that one, or there's this terrible one. You'll get it, it where the customer will come in and go, I get it. Yeah, you're that thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what we are. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I don't know why I would pay money for that though. Like, why wouldn't I just do that with my accounting system? Why wouldn't I just do that in a spreadsheet? And so they get you, they kind of get what you are. They just don't get the value. And so if you're hearing that in a first sales call, that's usually a positioning problem. If you've got that, and at the same time, like I say, you've got these happy customers that love you and are like, oh my God, never, never take this thing away from me. There's this gap between what these people know and what these new prospects are hearing when they come through your funnel. And we should be able to close that with a shift in positioning. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Um, we've definitely suffered from that at different points in time. And like, I think it's okay right now. But I, that's, of course, what I'm thinking about is you're thinking, I need to go, I need to go back on those gong calls right now and take, take a listen. <laughs> yeah, listen see what's going listen on. Listen to the gong calls. Yeah. How do you think about it when somebody is, you know, a company that is shipping a lot of stuff? And like their positioning could be changing quickly. Like how do you how do you do that? Yeah. Here's the, here's the funny thing about positioning. Like one of the reasons that we don't think about it so much is like 
like like you were saying earlier, like positioning is obviously hard. It's actually not sometimes, right? Like like sometimes the positioning is just it's freaking obvious. Like it's mm. just obvious. Like you have this thing, it's for these people, it does this thing, the value is obviously this, and it's fine until it's not. <laughs> and then what happens is like some copycat company comes into your market, or you know, some big guy decides to get into your space that wasn't there before. Or like, you know, you had this thing, it was really unique, and then everybody caught up to you. And all of a sudden, your your differentiated value isn't differentiated anymore. And then it's like, well, you never actually went through a process to come up with your original positioning that was working so amazing. It was just obvious. And now it's not obvious anymore. And you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> now we got it. Now we got to shift it. And so this is one of the big differences, in my opinion, between B2B and B2C marketing in B2C, if you think about, you know, the things we love to talk, like marketers all want to talk about that water, what's it called? Liquid death? Liquid death, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. The death mm-hmm. water thing. We love to talk about it. That's just Everybody our, loves yeah. to talk about that. But you can just, you can just have that position, just run that forever, right? Yeah. Whereas it, tech is not like that. It's not like that. Like we're yeah. selling B2B stuff. We got to stay ahead. Our differentiated value has to stay ahead. We always have these competitors nipping up against our heels and we're trying to sell to businesses. And so they can't go into their boss and say, I bought this one because I thought it was funny. (laughs) You know, like, "Ah, that doesn't cut it. So we got to be able to prove ROI. We got to be able to prove this is how this thing makes money or this is how this thing saves money. So we're always changing. Like, so the nature of positioning is like, we got a thing and it's working. And sometimes it'll work for a long time. Sometimes it'll work for a short time, but you don't know how long it's going to work. So you have to constantly be kind of coming back and checking in on it and being like, have our competitors changed? Have our differentiated capabilities changed? Like have folks caught up to us or maybe we built some new things or maybe there's some new entrance in the space and what used to be differentiating isn't anymore. And then how does that change the value that we can, that only we can deliver? Like our differentiated value, if that's shifting, so if I go through and look at that and any of that has changed, possibly I need to change the positioning to reflect that. And so we're going to have to go back and look at the positioning again. It's a really interesting thing because like B2C, obviously someone could buy something because it makes them laugh. It could right. buy something because it makes them feel healthy. It makes them feel sexy. It makes them feel exactly. like whatever the thing. It's like an emotional drive. And then yeah. in B2B, like it's, it, there's actually a lot of, in many cases, a lot of competition that could be an element, but probably not the reason why someone's buying. Right. And it's shifting a lot because there's new competition. How do you know if you should position against new competition or not? Because as you're talking about that, like I'm thinking about the proliferation of startups in the last few years. I'm thinking about right now with AI stuff and like there's a million new things yeah. coming out all the time. And then I'm also thinking about this like B2C versus B2B thing in terms of not that B2C purchasing is irrational. It's rational. But the B2B is almost funny that there's more competition because like liquid death to stay on that, like they could compete with Spindrift or Water or Gatorade. There's like a million yeah. competitors. And right. yet their positioning feels like it can stay the same. And then over right. in B2B land, sometimes there's like like a like a hot area might have four. Mm real competitors in it, but you really have, if you, if you're not positioning properly, it can fall. But why is that? How does that, how do you think about all of this? Well, so I think that, I think there's a, there's a whole bunch of things in there we need to think about. So one is, um, again, this idea of a considered versus a not considered purchase, 
right? So if I if I walk into the convenience store and I want to buy a drink, <laughs> I might look at the liquid death and say, ah, that's funny. Yeah. I just want water, but yeah. I'm going to buy this one. That's hilarious. I look yeah. hilarious holding it. This is yeah. hilarious. This is, I look cool. So, yeah, look how cool yeah, I am. I'm cool. I'm cool now. Yeah. Look at me. Yeah, I've got a skull on I don't here. care about death. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. So, whereas, <laughs> and that's what we would call an unconsidered purchase, right? Yeah. So I, I go in, I didn't think about it too much. And, and so what if I pick the wrong one? So what if I don't like it? Like, I, I just don't pick that one again. Yeah. Right. But B2B is not like this, right? B2B is, so, so let's take an example. Like, let, let's take some accounting software. So, you know, how does that get purchased? Like the boss wakes up and says, I hate our accounting software. Let's get something new. And they assign someone to go purchase it. Like go, not purchase it, but figure out what they should purchase. Yeah. Like go to your homework go look at all the things, go figure it out and and come back here and make a recommendation. And if I say yes, and I'll write the check and then we get it. That's really different, right? So now I got this person and this person is like, oh, shit. I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, what do I know? Like I use accounting software, but I'm not an expert in accounting software business. And I don't know who's who in the zoo there. And I don't know what my purchase criteria should be. I don't know any of this. Shit. And there's stakes like, if I make a bad choice, yeah. it's not like making a bad choice of gum, right? I, I made a bad choice. It's like, you know, I'm going to look like a dummy in front of my boss. Maybe the end users are going to be mad because I picked that thing. Or maybe I buy the wrong accounting software. We fail the audit. The whole company is on the line. I get fired, right? So that person has to not just make a decision or a recommendation for the decision, but they really got to justify it. And this is why leaders in a market have such an advantage in tech because it's really easy to look at that space and go man there's a lot of options here but everybody else picked salesforce and i can justify that to my boss let's say look that like every accounting company everybody everybody uses that thing so we could pick it's a safe choice right nobody can come back and say you're a dummy for picking it that'd be like saying everybody was a dummy for picking salesforce even though it might not be the right thing for you and the second thing is that this is such a hard decision to make really that half the time the, the customer can't figure out, well, there's these, even if there's not a lot of options, even if I've only got three, I can't figure out which one to recommend. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want bad things to happen. So it's pretty easy for me to just go to my boss and say, you know what? Now's not a good time. Let's not buy now. We'll just kick the can down the road for a year. Let's go, let's visit this next year. And then maybe next year I'm not around when you pick somebody to go evaluate this thing. And now it's not my problem anymore. It's somebody else's problem. We know this about B2B, right? Like the statistic is 40 to 60% of B2B purchase processes end in no decision. And the data shows that that no decision is not, we looked at the stuff and we decided our status quo was better. It's, we looked at the stuff, we couldn't confidently make a decision that we felt like wasn't going to get us maybe in trouble, and we just didn't do anything. And so this is really hard. Like, it's really hard. Then you put on top of that, like, you know, like I'm thinking about B2C, right? I got all these things that are potentially valuable. Like, you know, this, this is going to make me look cool. This is going to get me a date. This is going to make me look like I'm rich. <laughs> you know, like all these things that you're tapping into. But in B2B, I got, you know, I can't take any of that stuff to my boss. I can't go to my boss and say, I bought the red one because I like red. <laughs> <laughs> like, so you got to go to your boss and and there, we're limited on what's valuable here. It's we're helping you make money. We're helping you save money. That's it. That's all we got. And so in order to maintain our differentiation, like if we're all saying, oh, we're going to help you save money, 
Well, well, then the question is, well, how and how much? And you know, because you're all saying the same thing. So because we don't have that many options, it's harder to differentiate. Well, that's a very complete answer. You've hit the nail on the head there. And I think it's it's an interesting challenge. And it obviously is incredibly important to get the positioning right. It also, as you were talking, really made me think about product-led growth like PLG mm. and getting people in started for free. Yeah. So they're not even thinking about that. I'm wondering your take on that kind of like, the spectrum yeah. from PLG starting free to like enterprise. Is that the case? Like the positioning is, is like, is there more wiggle well, room on the PLG I, or, you know, so, so if the, a lot of it depends on the nature of the product, right? Yeah. Like, so there's lots of products that, you know, in the land that the, the PLG motion, we just can't do it at yeah. the beginning. Yeah. But, but for the ones where you can, like if there's an ability to do it, it, it is a way to sort of get out of this bake off thing and particularly if it's things that people collaborate on. So if one person yeah. starts using it, then everybody has to start using it. Like, that's pretty cool. And if you can, you know, if you can get those folks in, like, just, you know, yes, I know you want to do your due diligence or whatever, but just try it out, you know. And and if you happen to be the first one in there, yeah. maybe you've got a chance to circumnavigate your, you know, just, just short circuit that whole, like, we got to do, we got to pick three and then we're going to go around. We do all these things. The problem, though, is that as we go up market... Yeah. It gets harder and harder. Oh, like, yeah. So was, I was going to, as you're saying that, that's what I was going to like. Our experience so is hard. People will start for free and they'll use it and they'll make some videos and they'll edit some videos, they'll host some videos. But then if you get to a place where it's like there's a lot of people doing that in the org or there's a lot of content, the way that they're buying at that moment or upgrading to a much larger plan or something, right. they are checking against the competition. They The positioning yeah. matters a lot in that moment. Well, because now purchasing's involved. Now yeah. legal's involved. Yeah. Now, you know, the, the, the CFO's out there going, well, you know, and so, sometimes you'll have this regulatory stuff, you know, and some of the, and sometimes you're just not allowed to muck around with things at a big company, right? Like you you actually can't just slap the plastic and, and try it out and whatever. Like you got to go through all this stuff. So- it's funny, like a lot of the companies that we talk about as like, you know, the, the big case studies for product-led growth, we're now seeing those companies move up market yeah. and bring it in a sales motion because they got to. Yeah. But I still think that there's there's a lot of value for certain kinds of buyers and certain kind of products to just get to people in there, like just get them in there mucking around with it because it's, it's way easier to feel the value and experience the value than it is just talking about it. <laughs> Like and so if I can get you in there and have you experience it, great. And so I think there's a lot of positioning stuff that matters in product like growth because now I don't have a sales rep to position it. Yes. Not that the sales reps are generally doing a good job of positioning, but yeah, I know the, a... the the copy on the site and in the product too, like really matters. Yeah. Yeah. So what are they doing first? And how do we move them along? And how do we make sure they understand the differentiated value here and they get it? And do that in a way that, you know, that isn't like the rep sales rep just shows up and says, hey, we're really good at this and, and nobody else is. <laughs> the product's got to do that. Why is simple stuff so hard sometimes? Oh, my gosh. Like, right? Right. Like, that's that's the thing that drives people crazy about positioning, I think. Like, a lot of founders that I talk to, they're like, we never thought about any of this for like five years and everything was great. <laughs> and then, you know, these other guys got in our space and now everything's <laughs> and it seemed so easy the first time because it was obvious it was just we fell into it and it was perfect and it just worked and now it's broken and that is super common 
And, you know, and then now it's broken. Now we got to think about it. Now we actually got to do it deliberately. Now we actually got to sit down and like do the thing and, and figure it out. So, you know, it feels easy because, you know, because frankly, sometimes it is like sometimes it's just obvious. But when it's hard, it's really hard. I mean, yeah, as you're saying, it's like, well, we could we could write the thing right now for somebody like like right, literally write the text in a few minutes for some business that we think is like poorly positioned. But them actually instituting it, getting it on the site, training folks on it, understanding the oh, why, that. like like the rolling out of the stuff, that, then updating it as things are changing. Yeah, And I think a lot of look, when do you need to shift it? Because like you can have new competition that nobody knows about yet. But you know yeah. about that. Oh, yeah. You asked me about that before, and I didn't answer that. So here's here's the way I look at it. First, there's this concept you got to understand about positioning is that it changes. And so what we have in startups is we got the vision, right? Like, this is the thing we're going to be 10 years from now. They're all singing, all dancing. You know, we got a product roadmap and a bunch of things. And this is what we're going to be. And if we're raising money, this is the thing we sold the VCs, right? Like, ah, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be amazing. And then we got what we are right now. And it ain't that. <laughs> and then there's a strategy to get from here to here. Like we'll build this new thing and then we'll have this and then we'll build another thing and then we'll have this. And then and then in the future, we'll be this all singing, all dancing thing. So you have this series of positions in the market. Like first we're position is this, then we're going to have this thing, then we're going to be position is that, then we'll be this, then we'll be that. So the positioning is changing over time. So when do we know how to change it? So there's a, there's a handful of things. So at each step, what your positioning does, it's, it's the best possible story that answers the question, why pick us over the other guys right now, right? Over any other alternative you could do, including doing nothing, why should you pick us? Now, what happens is one of a handful of things. So the, the market's not static, So and you're not static either. So maybe somebody comes into your market and starts causing you pain. Now, here's the thing. Like, if I'm trying to answer the question, like, why pick me over the other guys? You know, if some competitor shows up that, yeah, I saw their press release. Yeah, I Googled the thing. Yeah, they raised a bunch of money. Yeah, whatever. But they never, they're never on a short list. Customers never talking about them. <laughs> whatever. I don't have to position against a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I only have to answer the question, why pick me over the alternatives mm -hmm. in the minds of customers? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this happens all the time where these companies come and they raise this giant amount of money and everybody goes, oh my gosh, they're going to be so disruptive. They sell like three customers and then they flame out. Should I worry about positioning against them? No, because customers don't worry about them. But if they start showing up on a short list and you start, your sales rep starts saying, oh yeah, you know, we never saw them six months ago, but we see them now. Well, then you got to take that seriously because now it's something you got to position against. But if it's just like, like, this is a problem. Your product guys will think about this different. So you go over to product management and the team over there, they're worried about the longer term thing and the roadmap. And so they are looking at all these, what I would call horizon competitor mm -hmm. that maybe is going to come and compete with us, or maybe we got a plan to come and compete with them. So we have to keep that all in mind. But we're not positioning division here. We're we're telling the best possible story. Why buy us over the other alternatives right now? And I only have to position against things that my my customers shortlist. If they never shortlist that thing, then I don't have to worry about it. I worry about it when it when it starts coming up. We'll worry about it then. What you just said is so valuable to folks to really hear and like understand, because I feel like there's so often I I talk to 
other entrepreneurs and they're really worried about competition. Like I've right. never heard of their competition. The, like most people probably never have heard of it. They are scouring the internet looking for all the people who could compete with them, but like their customer has no idea, but they overly worry about it. And that difference between, hey, mm -hmm. product roadmap long-term, where are we gonna be versus what's, yeah. what are we saying right now yeah. is actually really powerful because it's so easy to say like, all right, we're gonna, this is for today, for this month, for this week, like this is what it needs to be. And if things markedly change next month, we should ask ourselves if we need to change our yeah. positioning in that light, right? That's a really powerful idea. That's it. Like, that's it. I used to have a whole boss at IBM. He's just like this old guy. And he used to go, we can only sell what's on the truck. <laughs> he was always talking about this. But it's funny. He's like, we can only sell what's on the truck. And, and what he meant was, is that, you know, like when we're talking to the investment community, we're talking about all this vision and all this stuff and whatever. But we got to be careful about not getting too far over our skis and trying to sell stuff that isn't there. At the same time, like, again, different people will worry about different things. So sometimes you'll have the founder will will start getting worried about a competitor that actually doesn't compete with them in, over on sales. They're not worried about. Yeah. But they'll get worried about it because, you know, especially if you're raising money, because the investors will be like, oh, well, so-and-so is going to be in this space and they're going to wipe you out. And what are you yeah. going to do about them? And blah, blah, blah. But again, that's like a future thing. Right. And so the founders will get worried. You'll have the product people because they're thinking about the roadmap. So they'll be tracking all these horizon competitors. So they think we'll have to position against that when we don't. And then the marketers, the marketers get worried about whoever's blowing their brains out on marketing <laughs> paid. <laughs> so they'll be like, oh, you got to watch out for those guys. They're everywhere. <laughs> and, and sometimes I get super stressed out about it. Like I've had it where my team comes to me and says, they're killing us out there. Oh my gosh, they're everywhere. And you walk over to sales and they're like, nope, they don't get they don't get shortlisted in any deals. Like there's no business happening over there. <laughs> and so we gotta, we gotta like keep our blinders on and be like, deal with the reality in the market today as opposed to the hype that's happening all around us. It's like I only have to worry about selling what's on the truck against whoever my customers are seriously considering. That's it. I mean, there's so much gold in everything you've just said. Is there an example company that you think like people should look at that is doing this really like that you look at that you think like, yeah, they're on it. Like they're so on top of changing, yeah. updating, like that that we can all learn from. Well, so here here's the thing. Like, really great positioning feels obvious. Like you're like, it couldn't be anything else. And, and only if you were involved in making the sausage, <laughs> do you know how hard it is? Yeah. So I'll give you an example that my, one of my favorite clients right now is this company in the Valley called Postman. And so they have an API development platform. It is obviously what they are, an API development platform. But let me tell you, that was not obvious at the beginning because <laughs> that's not where they started out. So what they started out with, they started out as kind of a, a testing tool for APIs and a free thing. And, and, you know, the thing took off, it was free, it was open source. And then they started thinking about, well, how could we build this out? And eventually they evolved this philosophy of like, hey, you know what? If we really believe that software is going to eat the world, how does that happen? And, and a key part of how that actually happens is all the software needs to work with each other. Like APIs are actually a really big deal if you, if you lean back and think about it. And they didn't used to be. 
They used to be kind of an afterthought. Like we mm -hmm. build our project and, oh, somebody wants to do something with it. Yeah, let's slap the, let's build the API. We'll do that afterwards, right? And so it was like an afterthought. And so if you look at the way those APIs got built, they had one tool for testing, one tool for designing the API, one tool for testing the API, another one for documenting the API, another one for actually distributing the API. And that's a recipe for shitty software right there because we got all these different teams using this thing. It doesn't, it doesn't make, the jump pass. So what we're getting are these buggy, inconsistent, poorly documented, hard to consume APIs. And so if we really wanted to fix this, we have a platform where everybody across the whole life cycle of an API was working in the same platform, design, testing, documentation, distribution, packaging the thing up, customers, it all comes together in this nice thing. So if you look at Postman, like that's the way they describe it now. And they do a really good job of, in my opinion, of talking about that point of view on the world, which is really what they're selling. Like they're selling the platform for APIs, mm -hmm. but what they're really selling you is like APIs are important. And, and if you think that, if you believe that, then, then the only way to fix your API from being terrible is to like have this consistent platform thing across the whole thing. So if you look at the way they actually tell that story, it's really great. Like they're really consistent about it, super consistent about it. And they tell it in a thousand different ways. So like um, the CEO speaks at conferences and he talks about, you know, an API first world and what does that look like? And he's not pitching his stuff. He's pitching his point of view, right? Like mm -hmm. APIs mm -hmm. are going to eat the world. APIs are super important. It's the first thing you should think about. And then he has all these examples of companies that are only an API and, and, and that's all they are and things like that. And then they've done some, what I think is pretty creative stuff because their, their buyers are techie people. And so, you know, at one point they built a, a comic book, <laughs> So they got a graphic novel if you go on their homepage and the graphic novel is telling that story. Like, like, here's what we used to do. Here's what's happening. You know, what does it, and it's this, you know, and they call it API first world or something like that. And the thing is hugely popular piece of content and they're blogging about it. They're doing stuff. So I think they've done a really good job. And now people look at it and they're like, well, what else could they be? And it's like, oh man, like, like when they were first having conversations with the analysts, the analysts are like, so you're a gateway. I was like, no, man, <laughs> that's not what we are. And they'd be like, well, you know, we don't know what category to put you in because there's testing tools and there's documentation tools. And then there's ways you distribute the thing. And nobody was thinking that this stuff should come together. That That's awesome. And I just checked that out as you were saying it. And like, it does look, I I mean, yeah, like it's, it's exactly what you're saying. Um, right. And I love that it's the, the, the examples too of like the CEO going out and giving talks and the graphic novel and the copy on the site. And, you know, I'm sure the sales team and everybody is like using the same language. Right. And that's kind of like back to like the simple things can be hard to do also. Like without that framework, it feels like a lot of separate decisions to make. Well, this this brings me back to the thing I'm talking about too loud right now, which is like, it's one thing to have the positioning, right? Like, the, like so the positioning for, for Postman is we're a platform for APIs. And the value we deliver is we make it really easy for everyone to collaborate. So the API is really high quality. You're going to do better, better job of servicing your customers. All the things you want of the API are going to be better. That's the value problem. Now, if I just stop there, that's one thing, right? But like, how does sales pitch that? And that's the that's the issue we're having is the positioning 
doesn't make the jump to sales. Mm -hmm. And what sales needs to do is tell the story. Mm -hmm. Like sales needs to be able to say, look, they need to be able to do that. Hey, APIs never used to be important and now they are super important. And look, you're using all these separate tools to do this thing. And what's the result? The buggy, crappy, awful, hard to consume APIs. And so, you know, right now you've got a separate tool for this, separate tool for this, separate tool for this. So, you know, if we really want to fix this problem, we need a thing that brings them all together. And so that's that's the storytelling piece of stuff, piece of the thing that goes over top of positioning. That's how we get sales involved in this thing. It's not just enough to do the positioning. We got to take the positioning and translate it to a story, and a story that anyone on your sales team could say, look, let me walk you through it. Right. And that story does a really good job of painting a picture of the whole market. Oh, there's all these siloed tools. And here's why you don't want to use them, because that's the alternative to Postman. And, and, you know, and here's why you need to do us. So the, the, the story itself answers the question, like, why pick us over the thing you're doing right now? Love that. And, you know, that's also where the emotion comes back in, too, you know, of like, what's in that story? Like, what's the story arc? Like, what's the hook? Why Why do people need to care? What's the change? You know, what's the thing that's going to get them, like, brought in so they can understand, like, hey, this is where the world's going. And if it's an afterthought in this case, like, it's not going to work. Right. That's right. April, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, there's so, so many good things in here for people to take away and learn and reflect on. I, I really appreciate it. And where, where can people best connect with you online? Like where, where should they search you out? Yeah. So, you know, my website's aprildunker.com. And so I got some stuff there. Um, you know, I, I'm going through a little phase right now where I'm like social media. Okay. <laughs> But I'm I'm trying to work my way out of that. But uh, but I totally you know, I, work your way totally out. I'm trying to like be more thoughtful about what I do on social media, nice. and so um so I'm doing a little bit of stuff on LinkedIn. I never used to pay attention to LinkedIn. Now I'm doing a little bit of stuff on LinkedIn, so you there can you find go. me there. Um and I you you know I used to have this this really intelligent, super engaged following on Twitter, and that's just gone away. I don't I don't know. Like it's been that's really happened to me rapid, too. It's really rapid change. It's Twitter. For me. It's not you guys. Yeah. No, yeah. it's amazing, right? Yeah. Like things that like the engagement is just falling off a cliff to the point where and then there's so much garbage in my timeline that I'm like, what am I doing here? This is this yeah, is LinkedIn has become be. that place for me. And right? I me really too. didn't want it to be. Let me no. be clear. I did not. Well, I was like, I hated LinkedIn for a long time. I think I was like late to the game on LinkedIn. It was pr not improperly me positioned. Too. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> I was very late to LinkedIn too. I was like, I'm going to ignore this for as long as I possibly can. But yeah. time has come. It can no longer be ignored. Well, look, it was fun to hang. I'm sorry we don't have more time. Yeah. Thank you so much, April. This is great. All right. Thank you. I love how April can just go on a topic. She gets so passionate. She starts swearing and she just starts like dropping bombs of knowledge. And like in this interview, every time April kept going, I get a message from you. And she's like, oh, this is this is sick. And then like five <laughs> minutes later, April goes like, this is amazing too. This well, is amazing. <laughs> Whenever you do your impression of me, I, I don't know what to think of myself, but. That's my um, impression. For everyone. <laughs> For everyone. Okay, good. That's good. Um, I have a demonic laugh, as we established earlier. <laughs> right. And that's my impression of people. <laughs> that's your impression voice. Well, what I like about 
<laughs> April's style. Do you want is me that... to change my impression of you? Is that what you want? <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll work on that later. Okay, okay. I'll give you some tips. Um, what I like about April's style is that she uses a lot of examples. And sometimes I think with messaging, with positioning, with product strategy, like some of the concepts feel kind of abstract, especially to someone who's not living and breathing B2B. So when she was like digging into like, here's what happens on a sales call when the positioning is not good. And she goes, boom, boom, boom. It clicks for me. And I'm like, yeah, of course you'd want that positioning as your foundation. And of course you'd want the people who are selling the product to be to be cognizant of that same foundation and to be able to tell that story. So that's why I was like, this is good. Yeah. Well, it's also just like the ongoing nature of it is something that I, I think is really easy to miss. Because when she said really great positioning, sometimes it just feels natural. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us who get traction, I think like you end up with the right positioning at the right moment. And then what happens when the market changes? And she's saying when the market changes, when there's a viable other competitor that people are thinking about in your customer's mind, like you need to change your positioning most likely, unless they've done horrible positioning themselves. And so it's like an interesting thing because in a world where there's like not a lot of competition happening and you have things connecting, you might never be thinking about it. And if there's a world where there is a lot of competition or what you're doing is changing a lot, you actually have to be thinking a lot about what your message is and what's gonna resonate. And the difference can be huge because if people understand the unique differentiator, suddenly they have no trouble buying. They can motivate them to do that. But if they don't, they can be stuck in that place of not making a decision or they can go with a competitor. So it really is something that's super important and it's easy to miss. But when you miss, it's painful. Um, so I, I do love those examples that she gave and, and it definitely got me thinking about a lot of stuff that we're doing. Um, which is great and helpful. Like that's one of the most fun things about doing this show, right? Is like chatting you with get folks. To, right. Like you're thinking about what's happening at Wistia and you're taking what you're learning on the show. You're putting Smash those together. things together. They're putting them together. Yes. That's <laughs> yeah. For those listening, Sylvie took her hands, put them over her head. Like she, they were going together. Like I was, yeah. Like I was putting them together. Like I was putting them together into some kind of snow hat. Huh. Yes. Sure. Yes. Sure. Yeah. I think the other thing that is interesting about positioning being fluid and like changing as product changes as you ship more is also that like she was saying, you also have to be super present. And so whatever kind of stage you're in right now, that's what you're selling to the customer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's all very like temporal. And the different parts and- of the business are going to be in different stages. And right. like the positioning is like what's on the website and what the messaging is. And that's going right. to be different than it's where you're going. not the horizon competitive. Yes. Right. It's yeah, good stuff. A, I mean, it's, it, yeah. it got, got my brain Got the cooking. brain going. Got the brain going there. <laughs> Always good to get the brain going. Well, if you'd like to get the brain going even more, please subscribe to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you watch podcasts. Um, means a lot if you subscribe and rate the show. Um, you can follow and find Sylvie and myself on both Twitter, but a lot more LinkedIn these days. And if you have feedback for us, you can always email us at ttlpod at wisi.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. We appreciate you. Take it easy out there, you loud talkers. 
Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia, hosted by Chris Savage, produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.